Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you miss the days when all the answers to life's big questions could be found in the juicy pages of Dolly Doctor? Sex, friendships, relationships, family, life stuff. Dolly gave us total honesty with zero judgment. We learned that it wasn't weird to masturbate, like a lot, and that periods can sometimes be tricky, unpredictable things. We talked about what to do when we had a crush on someone and how to get over relationship breakups. Having Dolly to turn to made all that teenage angst a bit more bearable. Adulthood was around the corner. We would all get our shit together, move to the city to become big-time businesswomen and sleep with Harrison Ford, like Melanie Griffiths in Working Girl. Was that just me? Life was happening. And then we all grew up and realised that everything is still confusing. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline. Presented weekly by me, Clementine Ford, this is your place to ask all the questions you still don't know the answers to about sex, friendships, relationships, family and life stuff with the kind of frank advice you could expect to find from the person who loves you most, your big sister. Because life isn't easy. And sometimes we all need a big sister to call on. And my guest big sister today is the fabulous Jess Maguire. Hi, Jess. Hi, Clem. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell everyone who you are? Oh, uh, my name is Jess Maguire. What what do I do? Former breakfaster. Former breakfaster. I do bits of radio. I do uh, Judge Jess segment on ABC Melbourne. Yep. Trivia host. Trivia host. Ga- gal about town. Gen- DJ. And today you're here to help answer questions. So let's get into the first one. Frustrated asks, can you help me with some wording when talking about vibrators to my boyfriend? As you can imagine, he's not a fan of them because they threaten his masculinity. I try to tell him that it's not because of any deficiency in him that I still masturbate occasionally or want to incorporate vibrators into sex, but I know that it makes him uncomfortable and self-conscious. He's very supportive of me and would never try to tell me what to do with my body, but I know this is something that bothers him. How do I explain to him that it's not him? Stats don't seem to work. Thanks, frustrated. I just want to say before I throw to you, Jess, that the line, as you can imagine, he's not a fan of them, really jumped out to me because it assumes that there is this widespread knowledge that, of course, heterosexual cisgender men would not be interested in anything that, you know, quote unquote, threatens their masculinity. Like, do you think that a lot of guys feel that way? Not the ones that I know, but um, most of the men that I know seem to indicate that they're not threatened by getting a woman off. Um, (laughs) I don't know if that's connected, but yeah, I mean, it's sometimes these toys aren't replacements for appendages. They're enhancements and things that you can do together. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that is... uh, Or alone. Or alone, but they're they're not things that make him lacking in in any way. Well, the thing is as well that, you know, I recently did a a sponsored collaboration with a sex toy company and I noticed that, um, you know, of course, it was trolled by some of my most vigorous male fans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And one of the things that they repeatedly came back to was like, yeah, of course you need to use this because you can't get one up, yeah. And I'm like, this is literally a clitoral stimulator. Mm. In what world does your dick vibrate or pulse air at me? You don't know what's going on in those pants. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's something NQR about a lot of those dudes, whether it's some kind of pulsating, vibrating, air-filled pants. I don't know. Um, I think that, okay, so so the central problem here is that she obviously has a loving relationship with her boyfriend and has a healthy sexual interest in for herself and also obviously a healthy view of masturbation and he is being threatened and challenged by this. So how can we help well, is frustrated... She- is she trying to use it just like, as she's saying, like, this is a toy that I want to use just on my own. This is my alone time thing. It's not a reflection on what we do together. Or is it just literally just trying to incorporate well, them into says, their lives? She says that she still masturbates occasionally and she wants to incorporate vibrators in, into sex. But he feels like he obviously is coming from the perspective of thinking that if she wants to do that, it's because I'm not getting her off. I don't mm. know exactly what to say to him to dispel those myths, except that maybe he needs to read a lot more sex writing written by women and maybe watch a lot more feminist porn. Mm. But I guess like just generally speaking, I think it, it's really important for, and any men listening to this show as well, to really understand that sex between a cis man and a cis woman, and for anyone who doesn't know what cis means, cisgender is when you are, your sex aligns with your gender identity. Anyone who wants to pleasure a woman, you have to understand that it's not all about the D. No, but it's also not all about you, really. Yeah. Like that's the number one in as someone that dabbles with ladies. Um, but, you know, that's... A dabbler, is that what they're calling them these days? Well, she ain't finding a husband anytime soon is what they say about Ms Maguire as she wanders the streets of Melbourne. Uh, her dowry remains untouched. But, you know, I mean, the part of being like a good lover, I think, is that it's kind of not about you in a way. It should be something that you're sharing together, but mm. you want someone... Like, I think it's a victory if you use whatever mm. things people like, if it makes you comfortable to well, and it's get also, them to that point. Like, yeah, f- you know, it's frust- not- frustrated mentioned stats. And, and again, for anyone listening, it's also really important for you to know that 75% of uh, people who have vaginas won't orgasm from penetration alone. Mm. They need clitoral stimulation. We need clitoral stimulation. So the idea that somehow there's something uh, like a man is failing somehow to deliver you sexual pleasure because you want to incorporate vibrators or toys. I mean, apart from them just being fun, it's actually just like it's not backed up by biology or science. Mm. So I would say to him, maybe, or to you, frustrated, to encourage him to watch some more feminist porn. They sound young, Clem. I don't know why. I just get the feel. I get the feeling that that, well, that maybe kind they are of, young. Yeah. So I mean, this is a great opportunity to explore things. But like, are there older guys that he can talk to as well that might be able to reaff- reaffirm him? Because sometimes it's like that kind of. I mean, I don't want to say he's got threatened masculinity. I can kind of understand. I've I've been with people that are, you know, when you start incorporating things that can be a little bit scary for some people and they're not, they don't think of themselves as prudish, but in the intimacy of that moment, mm. that can make them uncomfortable. Um, it doesn't make you a terrible person and I don't think he's like trying to be a bad dude, but like yeah. maybe speaking to other older guys that can be like, no, that can be really sexy to do that with a woman. Maybe as well you could, you know, you could show him how you like to use them. You could make it a sexual thing to do together and sort of break down his inhibitions in that way. Mm. Either way, I wish you luck and Definitely do not let him stop you from using your toys. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline. 
You've reached the Big Sister Hotline with Clementine Ford and my guest Big Sister today is Jess Maguire. We are now going to take a call slash question from someone who just wants to be known as Little Sister. I've been dating this sweet, gentle, kind-hearted man that would do anything for me for about six months, but we have no real intimacy and at times I find his gentleness repugnant. I've tried to discuss our lack of intimacy, asking, do you not want to have penetrative sex with me? But the conversation doesn't really go anywhere. He assures me he's attracted to me, but he hasn't been in a relationship in 10 years and I'm the first person he has dated sober. The one time we did try to have penetrative sex, he came early and got embarrassed. Yet after that, he secretly went to a sex shop and bought me a vibrator. But he's never mentioned it again. We have mutually masturbated and he's helped me get off, but I crave more. Sometimes he tries to be more intimate with me by kissing and touching me, but it disgusts me. It feels so difficult. I love to laugh with him. He's thoughtful. He tries things with me such as hiking and surfing, but I'm starting to resent his presence. Is it so cliche for me not to like the good guy? Advice, Jess. Well, it's not that she's not liking the good guy. It sounds like she likes him a a fair bit. It's just that there are some needs that maybe aren't being met in a way that she would like. Um, It's interesting to me that she sort of mentions that they tried to have penetrative sex and he came early. And that might be the thing that's that's kind of holding him back and, and a huge fear. And sometimes, mm. like, particularly the sobriety thing was quite interesting because that's a huge change for a lot of people. And sex while sober can be a big deal for people. It's great. More people should do it. It would make them more aware of the other person that they're with. I <laughs> highly recommend it. But for a lot of people, the first time that they have sex or the early days of physical intimacy is exactly when they want to be off their face because they're so insecure and they're so fragile about it, I guess. Mm. So there's a lot of changes that obviously have happened for him in that's great that he's gotten sober. I think I think that's that's really awesome and it shows someone that's ready to take control and, and make their life better for them. Um obviously there's something, there's a threshold that he's not going over. And I knew someone once that like that had sort of that problem and they weren't having sex for the first few months of their relationship. And it was an absolute mystery until eventually she got out of him that an ex-girlfriend had like critiqued him quite cruelly and it had just planted enough of a seed in his head that he just couldn't go there. Mm. And once they talked it out, and I think they might might have even gone to a therapist or something just to be like, there's no problem here, there's nothing wrong with you. They're still together 15 years on, have a very healthy sex life, everything's great. But if there's a seed planted in his mind that he might not be able to perform sober and the one time that he's tried to do it, he's come early, he might just be just terrified of going there. How you fix it is the next question. See, that's why I appreciate having another big sister doing this uh, because my take is totally different. Hit me with it. I mean, I think that you've you've come at it from a very compassionate perspective and actually like a lot of what you said I wouldn't have even thought about and I really... I'm a Pisces, Clem, so that's what I bring to the table. But to me, what I'm hearing here is that she feels like she should like him because he's so nice and considerate in so many ways, not obviously in the ways that she wants him to kind of pursue her. But I actually just think that she, she's just not into him, Mm. you know, and she's being led to think that she should stay with him because, you know, he's nice and he's thoughtful and he hikes with her. But if the raw sexual passion is not there for her and if she feels like she's not being desired, in fact, she's actually expressed that she feels disgusted sometimes when he touches her or tries to kiss her, then I think that she's trying to force something that even with, you know, no amount of therapy could fix because she's just basically, she doesn't have the horn for him. Look, I I mean, the impression that I got is that she kind of liked him. They've not really been able to get to whatever next step that one would do to figure out whether the relationship has got legs because of this albatross around his neck. 
that said, it's also this is a lot of stuff for him to work out, and that's yeah. not necessarily. Maybe he shouldn't. Maybe he shouldn't be him. dating if he's new in the uh, you know journey into sobriety uh, and stuff. He's ten years in, but he's yeah. clearly only just having a crack at sex. But I, I do think that you know it's not necessarily a woman's duty to have to sit there dutifully while he figures his thing out and hope yeah. hope that she'll get what she needs in yeah. the end. If it's not working for her, it's not working for her. But if there is, if you're listening and there is something that you that you do kind of like, but the sexual thing has really gotten to you but you think it might be worth going to therapy, have a go. If he's not prepared to do it, go live your life. And this is some of the best big sister advice that you can actually give anyone is that niceness is not enough and you don't owe anyone a relationship just because they're a nice person. You don't have to feel guilted into it. You know, you're allowed to assert your needs and you're allowed to say, look, it's just not working for me. And yes, it might hurt their feelings. And yes, they might be angry about it. But what's worse, making in a kind way hurting someone's feelings and asserting your own autonomy and your own independence or staying in a relationship that you're really just there out of obligation. I say break up with him. Well, also no one wants to look back and realise that someone stayed with them because they felt obligated. That's never a yeah. nice feeling either. So you might be doing yourselves both a favour. So, you know, see how you feel. I, I feel for him, but maybe his issues are his issues and he's not ready to be in a relationship and she certainly doesn't have to feel the responsibility of taking them on. Absolutely. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline. This is the Big Sister Hotline and we have Gigi on the line now. Hi, Gigi. Hi, there. Hi, Clem. Gigi, you had a question about changing names after marriage. What's that about? Yeah, so um, I recently got married myself uh, one month ago, actually. And um, I'm in my 20s. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, I'm in my 20s and, you know, I'd kind of um, always... You know how girls kind of think about getting married and that type of thing. I mean, I, I've never really thought that it was um, that different of a thing, like that different of a lifestyle change. And um, I guess for me, I always thought the concept of changing um, names after you got married was a bit weird. Uh, it it is. never really felt, yeah, it, it just never really felt right with me. Um, and I always questioned it. Um, I thought it was kind of a bit like a erasure of identity, and I didn't understand why it was always kind of put on the woman to have to change her name to create this this sort of family unit that everyone um, was so excited about. So um, when I got married myself, um, I had told my partner from when we first started dating years ago that this wasn't something that I would ever do, and he was totally fine with that. Um, And I guess I always thought that the way that I thought was normal, um, and I've just started to realise after I got married that I'm kind of the exception, not the rule, and I see a lot of people in my age group getting married and changing their names without even a second thought. Mm. Um, And I don't judge anyone, and I guess that's why I thought I'd ask this question because I am kind of really curious seeing that I am the odd one out, sort of. I I just wanted to see other people's views, really, and just see the discussion around this. Well, firstly, I will say I love that you didn't change your name after you got married. I'm a big proponent of women keeping their names. Um, Mm. And also I think that it is something that a lot of women do unquestioningly because it's traditional. I mean, it's interesting listening to you. You even said your partner was fine with that. And I think that's a lot of unconscious passive language that's used around name changes. Like, oh, my partner was fine with that. He was totally fine with me not changing my name. Like, well, what would have been, what if he wasn't fine with it? Like he's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's this, it's this kind of seeding of power still that there is yeah. the assumption that when a, a woman get, gets married that it's still like traditional and romantic for her to kind of like yeah. abandon her the identity and the name that she's grown up with in order to kind of take on a guy's name. Jess, what do you reckon? Mm. 
when I was growing up, I probably thought that, you know, when I had crushes on people, I would write my name and their surname together and just, like, just be absolutely prepared to sell my brand in a heartbeat for love. Um, Jess Minogue. <laughs> exactly. Well, as I uh, got older and I began watching my peers get married, the older I got, the more I was like, huh, this is weird when they changed their names. And particularly when they got into their 30s and they would know someone for two years and they would get married and then their name would go and I would think... You've been, you know, you for 35 years and formed careers and friendships and relationships and that is your name and your identity and then someone's come into your life and you've just with no thought whatsoever gone, well, now I'm this. Mm. And, I mean, I think there are just ways around it now. I think that, like, the way that we document everything, I don't think there's any chance that people are going to get mixed up admin-wise as to who who is married to who, whose children belong to who. It's just sort of a bit of a bizarre idea. And then also when I got into my 30s and I had more queer relationships, um, the really interesting aspect of that is that there are a lot of ideas that been drilled into me when I was young that were very heteronormative that kind of get shifted when you're in those relationships. If you're in a same-sex relationship, well, then whose job is it to put out the bins or whose name gets taken or what name do the kids have? You just have to rethink everything because it's no longer defined as like the man or the woman and what their value is. And that's kind of changed the whole way that I look at everything Mm. now. So I think you're fine. Um, Your friends are a bit weird, but that's okay. They'll get there. (laughs) But like, but you're you're certainly, there's nothing odd about you. And in fact, the majority of people that I kind of know in maybe like the last five years that have been getting married, I can't think of any that have changed their names and maybe if one or two have slipped through the keeper, it's an eyebrow raiser. I just want to say two things as well. And the first is that one of the um, arguments that women are often presented when they argue against, you know, abandoning their own names is, oh, well, it's just your bloody father's name anyway. Well, firstly, it could be your mother's name. Secondly, it's your name. You were born with it. You spent your whole life with it. You, it doesn't have to belong to a man. And thirdly... Your husband's name is his dad's name too by that reckoning. And I think that it's something that we really need to acknowledge and think critically about, that men are allowed to own their names and own their identities and have them for themselves because they're, they're, they're given this permission to sort of go out and forge their own path and represent themselves. Whereas women are treated as if their names are just on loan. You know, they're on loan from their dads until they find a man to give them his name on loan. You're allowed to to honour and respect your identity. And yes, people say, oh, well, isn't it about choice? But if, firstly, if it were about choice, then more men would be doing it and they would be doing it in equal numbers. But also mm. not all choices that we make are good choices and they're also informed by the culture that we live in. So the culture that we live in is still patriarchal and sexist, which is exactly why women still feel like they need to take their husband's names when they get married. There's one exception Mm. that I might make and that's if you've come from a really complicated or toxic family and you are literally looking for a new start and that's a discussion that you've had with your partner and you're like, you know what, I actually don't want my family and I actually don't really want anything Mm. to do with my family. And I know a few people that have had that situation where they're like, I would actually welcome yeah. taking on a different name. But it's, and- but it's interesting that that still seems so much to be women who offer that explanation. I rarely see men saying, well, I grew up with a toxic father. I grew up in a toxic household and I don't want to be a, a part of that anymore. And again, I still think that that comes down to this idea that like this really in, inbred idea that men's names are not somehow some signifier of like a man's ownership over them. I mean, look, again, I'm pretty much like if you're not hurting anyone, do what you want, but maybe have a think about why you're doing 
doing things because often, as you say, there are some unconscious societal reasons why we make these decisions and we do it thoughtlessly yes. and we don't have to. Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting um, what you guys were mentioning about um, er- like the erasure of essentially women's names. And I really started to see that um, after I got married because I got a lot of questions um, from my partner's family because I was the first one out of their whole family who didn't change their name after they got married. And um, a lot of people asking me, like, you know, you do it as like, um, you know, to make your family whole. So if you ever have kids, you guys all have the same name. And I just didn't understand why that responsibility would have to fall on me. And um, it was actually really interesting because uh, when we did get married and we received cards from very well-meaning people, I'm sure a lot of people um, addressed the cards to Mr. and Mrs., his first name and his last name. Ooh. And I just like hate that. The card. Ooh, that's yeah, cool. I looked at the card and I literally showed it to my partner and I was like, just look at this and you can just see that there is not one element of my name on that because I didn't even take misses. So I was just like, my first name is gone, my last name is gone, mm. and I've been giving, given a title that I didn't even ask for. There Misters, is not like essentially. Yeah, you could literally replace me, that misses, with any person and there's no way to identify me whatsoever. I was like, Tim, do you just see how that's wrong? And he just was completely silent and he said, yeah, that's just, that's honestly wrong. And it was just a really eye-opening moment for me. I, I kind of expected it, but I never really saw it until um, until it was there in front of me. And that's what I've been telling his family members, like, why should that responsibility be on me to have a whole family? And why does a family even all need to have the same last name? Why can't we just be all our own people? It's well, just- that's an odd concept. <laughs> what I'll also leave you with as well is you don't have to explain yourself to anybody. Yeah. You don't have to justify it. If anyone wants to push you on it, just say, look, stop. This is the choice that I made. This is what I'm happy with and I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, and no, it is really interesting how people do kind of make you feel the need to explain yourself, but I think that's such a good point. Um, just basically respecting other people's point of view. I mean, I don't question them for taking on their name. Yeah, so, um, I do, but... Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, Gigi. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline. Now, Jess, every week the Big Sister Hotline is going to end with me reading a little excerpt from one of my youthful diaries. Is it going to be angst-filled, Clem? Oh, they'll be angst. <laughs> I just want to show everyone out there that, you know, I've been there. So this is from the 10th of October 2003. I was 22 years old and living in Japan. I'm listening to Belle and Sebastian's new CD at the moment. It's pretty good, but I wonder if they aren't venturing into more of a commercial sound. For me, The Boy with the Arab Strap will always be my number one Belle and Sebastian hit. It reminds me of summer, days getting stoned with Mikey in my dodgy student hovel, night breezes, summer clothes, (laughs) drinking, working at Red Rock for the first time. I was reading the CD booklet diary, though, and while it was really funny... It's disordered, jumbled, obvious, massive irrelevance. It sort of reminded me of the way my friends behave. (laughs) Am I wrong to get so weary of them? That is where I'm going to finish. That's brutal. (laughs) I can't believe you first you tear apart Belle and Sebastian for just wanting to sell some bloody records (laughs) and then you end it with smashing your friends. You know what, their record label, their record cover reminds me of my dead shit friends. (laughs) Beautiful. Just proof that we were all angsty. Oh, look, I'm, the angst is still in me. Anyway, Jess McGuire, thank you so much for being on Big Sister Hotline this week. I love you. I'm in love with you a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I would love to have you back. I would love to be taken back. <laughs> You've been listening to the Big Sister Hotline. I'm Clementine Ford. 
serving Big Sister Real Talk for all the things you're too embarrassed to tell your therapist. My guest this week was Jess Maguire, and next week, joining us to answer questions will be Melbourne's own Marie Cardi. So please tune in. You can listen on Google Podcasts or Spotify or Radio.com, and very hopefully soon also on iTunes. And leave a review. Send your questions to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at clementine underscore Ford. Big Sister Hotline. The phone line is open. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.